Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. Uh, you can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net, or also send a donation with the Zell app to box13 at greatdetectives.net, or by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913-15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. Well, now it's time for the last circulating episode of T-Man, the original air date July the 29th of 1950 and this one is the big Mexican dope T-Man starring Dennis O'Keefe T-Man the law enforcement agent of the Treasury Department Skilled fighter against crime, relentless enemy of the underworld. T-Man Steve Larson, played by Dennis O'Keefe. Tonight's transcribed treasury case, The Big Mexican Dope. There's one crime the T-Man hates above all the others he is obliged to fight. It's narcotic smuggling. The traffic in human souls, which is endless and endlessly battled by the Treasury Enforcement Agents. A loathsome, sordid commerce, employing the lowest kind of criminal, like these three walking down a moonless street in the border town of Mexicali. It is the third house there on the left, the one with the adobe wall and the cactus. And you're certain he's in there? Pues si, senor. Since nine tonight, he's there. <laughs> the last one. And when he is gone... Very well. You keep a lookout, Jose. We'll be right back. Está bien. Vámonos, Vicente. Si, senor. Aquí está. All right. You take the play and I'll cover you. Bueno. Pablo. Pablo. Es yo, Vicente, ábrelo. Espérate poco. ¿Qué pasa? What do you want? Your life, amigo. ¿Qué? No, 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 wait, wait, Vicente. It's, it's, it's all a mistake. I, I want take it. No, no, no. Well, there's our last competitor west of El Paso. Now we can start rolling opium across the border and carload lots. Pues, I think, señor. The T-Man would not like that. Hmm, the T-Man, huh? Come on, let's go. Pablo Valdez was dead. Pete, we'd call him in the service. I'd gone through my training with him. He taught me a little Spanish and how to do a pretty good rumba. A good kid. Now he was dead. Dead because some rotten vultures who preyed on human frailties were pushing dope, opium, across our southern border. 
Dead because he'd volunteered to go into Mexico six months before and pose as a peddler to get close to the higher-ups. He'd gotten close, all right. Too close. Somehow, I don't think they were on to Pete, Steve. Look here. Look at this breakdown I've made. Nacho Gomelli knifed to death in Juarez two months ago. Pedro Loyola, Chichi Real, shot down in Nogales a month later. And now, Pete, killed in Mexicali. I think it adds up. Well, let me see that. You know, maybe you're right, Chief. When four of the biggest dope smugglers on the western end of the border get knocked off within 60 days, it... Uh... Well, it looks like somebody's out to eliminate competition. Right. And we don't know who the somebody is. Uh-huh. A dead end. Well, not quite a dead end. We've been staying clear of the border itself, of course, but the boys in the L.A. office have tapped a few local peddlers and come up with some interesting facts. Steve, there's opium coming across the border, a lot of it. And the hot spot seems to be Mexicali. Mexicali, huh? What about the buys? Uh, they made there or on this side of the border? Well, the buys are made in Mexico, but the deliveries are always made on this side. The gang runs the stuff across. Mm-hmm. Have we got any stooges in Mexicali? I don't want Steve. Man, it's too late to try a plant now. There may be a possible contact there, though. Oh? Who? A girl. Her name's Francisca Mendoza. Pete mentioned her in his last report. Oh. Nice name. Yeah. I had the border boys check on her. Apparently, she's quite a number. Yeah, she sounds interesting. I'd like to meet her sometime. Good. You're going to. Oh. I'm elected, huh? You're elected, Steve. Good. I like Pete. You fly to L.A. tonight, down to El Centro tomorrow. Play it as a West Coast opium buyer looking for a big order. Flash your money and talk tough. As soon as you make contact, let me know, and I'll send some men in to back you up. Just grab a loose end and start unraveling. Is that it? That's it. And uh, watch out for Francisca. The boys say she's dynamite. Okay, Chief. Stick around and wait for the explosion. I got a pocket full of matches. When you play it as an opium buyer or on any other undercover job, you don't just waltz in and introduce yourself. You've got to give yourself a background. So for the next month, I hung around L.A. posing as one Ray Lucas, big-time dope buyer just recently out from the East. I had myself picked up three times by the narcotics boys and once by the local police, and each time released for uh, lack of evidence. So it was almost six weeks later that Washington got my coded message saying I was moving in, going to try to make contact with a feminine bundle of dynamite named Francisca. I checked into the Barbara Worth Hotel in El Centro at 2.30 the next afternoon and took a taxi down to Mexicali, eight miles south and just across the border. And for the next two days, I sat in bars and dives, performing the pleasant task of flirting with pretty girls I thought might be Francisca. I met Juanitas, Rositas, Chiquitas, and Marquitas. Got asked outside twice by angry escorts and had my face slapped once. Not a bad average, but no Francisca. And so far, no dynamite and no contacts. Then on my third day in the Estrella Saloon, just as siesta was breaking, my philandering paid off. Oh, the boys were right. She was dynamite. Oh, uh, a bartender. I wonder if the young lady would mind if I paid for a drink. That's nothing. Pleasure's mine. I'm, uh, I'm Ray Lucas from Los Angeles. Oh? My name is Francisca Mendoza. I'm glad to know you, Miss Mendoza. Mind if I join you? 
Unless you wish, Senor Lucas, you're buying the drink. Oh, thanks. Oh, here you are, bartender. Senor, this is a very large bill. I, I do not have so much change in American money. Oh, that's all right. Keep it. Oh, pues gracias, senor. Hey, nice little town you've got here, Miss Mendoza. You have not been here before? <laughs> not for some time. I, I usually do business in L.A., but my man hasn't shown up for a while. Came down here trying to locate him. I see. Say, uh, hey, you live here. Maybe you've heard of him. Pablo Valdez? Pablo Valdez. Yeah. Happen to know him? Well, si, senor. I, I know Pablo. <laughs> Good. Where can I find him? I've looked all over town. Well, I have not seen Pablo for some time now. Well, he does live here somewhere, doesn't he? I think so. What business are you in, senor Lucas? Oh, well, uh, <clears throat> I'm a buyer, you might say. I see. Yeah, I'd sure like to find Pablo. I've got orders backing up on me. I can't fill them. Senor, it may be possible that I know someone else who could help you. Someone besides Pablo. Oh, no, no, I don't think so. I, I'm afraid you don't understand. I understand. Perfectly, senor. You come here tonight at 8 o'clock. Do you, uh, understand that I'm a buyer and, uh, what I'm buying? Seguro. At eight o'clock, senor. Está bien? All right. Contact. I dropped a $20 bill to a bartender, mentioned a dead man's name, and it had worked. But a first contact with a small-time runner like Francisca is one thing, and the final payoff is another. And there's usually a long, rough road between, a road where you go around every curve blind. At 8 o'clock, I met Francisca, and we went down the street to the Crystal Palace Cafe. By 9.30, we'd finished our roast venison and champagne, and she still hadn't said any more about our reason for being there. So I ordered more champagne. Senor, I... I did not find the man I tell you about, but he will come here. Always he comes to this cafe sometime in the evening. He does, huh? You know something, honey? I think you're giving me the runaround. The runaround? Sure, sure, but it's all right. I'm having fun. May come down here pretty often from now on. A man gets a new outlook on things uh, south of the border. But it is true what I tell you, senor. Sure, sure it is, baby, I know. Que pasa, Francisco? Jose, I've been waiting for you. Verdad? Maybe you get tired of waiting, eh? Who is this gringo you're with? Oh, you're making the mistake, Jose. This man is a fellow... Look, honey, it's this little punk's trying to annoy you. All right, I'll I'll teach you how to talk to me. All right, shorty, drop the knife. You are very quick with the pistol, senor. Quick enough, Joe. Now go on, beat it. Esperate. Stop it, both of you. Put away the gun, senor, before someone sees. Jose is the man I tell you about. He is, huh? Does he always go after his customers with a knife? It's nada. It is only that he thinks I am his property. Jose, is the hombre Avenida de Los Angeles. He's looking for Pablo Valdez. For Pablo? <laughs> pues, I think you're not going to find Pablo, senor. Why not? Because he's dead. Ah. Uh. Too bad. Happened suddenly? Oh, see. Si. Very suddenly. Sit down now. Both of you. It is no time to be foolish. Now. Senor Lucas, you are come looking for Pablo because you wish to make a buy, no? Could be. And Pablo is dead. But no matter. Jose is from the same business now. So everything is simple. Uh, maybe it is. I could depend on Pablo and I knew where I stood. 
All I know about Jose here is the fact that he pulled a knife on me, and that I don't like. <laughs> it's all a big mistake. We forget it, eh? How much you want to buy? Twenty-five grand this trip, more the next trip. If it's good stuff. It's the only kind I handle. It's good, senor. It's the best. How will I know? You want sample, eh? Do I look crazy enough to make a buy without one? Where do you stay? Across the border in El Centro, Barbara Worth. Bueno. Entonces you wait at the hotel at 7 o'clock tomorrow night and Francisca bring you a sample. Francisca, huh? Good. You, uh, you come on up anyway, baby, even if you don't have a sample. Jose, stop it. You ought to chain him up somewhere, honey. He might bite somebody. Si, senor. It's possible that I may. Very possible. All right, second contact. Small fry again, but in the opening moves on a dough case, every new lead helps. I was pretty sure I'd been accepted by both of them as an L.A. mobster and a hard-boiled opium buyer, the kind who would pull a gun at the drop of a hat. I deliberately played on Jose's jealousy, hoping he'd get so sore that Francisco would take me past him to the next man higher up in order to avoid losing a sale. So far, things looked good, and they kept on looking good until 7 o'clock the next evening, and the whole pitch fell apart. Francisca didn't show up. 8 o'clock came, 9 o'clock, and she still hadn't shown 9.40, phone rang, and the operator put through a call from Washington. The chief was on the line. Okay to talk, Steve? Yeah, I'm alone. Go ahead. Well, listen. I've moved in some of the boys in case you need help. Zach Wheaton and Roy Linville have checked into the Imperial Hotel in Brawley. Zach's in touch with two men from the El Paso office standing by at Yuma. All right, Chief. With you at El Centro, that blocks the section off pretty well. Call Zach when you're ready for a push. Okay, and uh, thanks for the assist. Not at all, Steve. Good luck. I've been a treasury agent long enough to learn most of the reasons why a gang contact sets up a meet and then fails to show. But reasons or not, a missed meet always means trouble one way or another. So I sat in my room and waited. And at ten minutes past eleven, trouble opened the door, stepped in, and closed it. Put up your hands, senor. Oh, traded the knife for a gun, huh? Jose, you're getting smart. It's time you got smart, senor. No, no, keep your hands up. Now, look, shorty, I came down from L.A. to make a buy, a big one, and instead I got a ten-cent runaround from you and your girlfriend. What happened to her, by the way? Why didn't she show? At 6.30 this evening, senor, Francisca is picked up by customs men crossing the border with a sample of opium. She is in Calexico jail. I take your gun now, senor. Slip up. Some bright lad in the border patrol hadn't been notified. My contact was under arrest, and the whole gang was probably jittery from the top to the bottom. And on top of it all, Jose had my gun. Any way I played it, things were bound to be tougher. It was either dead pan or dead man, and the odds weren't too good. Maybe you tell me how that happened, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe not. I don't think it did happen. It happened. Maybe you give them a, 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 a how you say, tip-off? Oh, sure. They're all good friends of mine. Es posible. You también that maybe you are T-Man? T-Man? Oh, Joe, you're a comic. The boys at Leavenworth would get a big charge out of that one. Go on now, blow. Beat it. Find yourself another sucker. The deal's off. Senor, I think it's a good idea that you come, too. Sorry, Mac. The only place I'm going is L.A. On the next plane. Vamos a ver. First you come talk to boss, then maybe you no go any place. Maybe you go see Pablo Valdez. Pablo? I thought you said he was dead. Si, senor. You turn around, I walk the door. Vamanos. I knew 
what was coming, and I knew I had to let it come. But knowing didn't make it any easier to take. And now, senor... Venga, say Nacho. We got him down the fire escape. Vamonos. In just a moment, we continue with T-Man, starring Dennis O'Keefe. But first, the fabulous Phantom is still eluding him on Sing It Again, but he'll be back tonight on most of these same CBS stations with 5,000 fabulous dollars in cash and thousands more in rich prizes offered to CBS listeners who can identify him. Be listening later tonight to Sing It Again on CBS. And now we return you to T-Man, starring Dennis O'Keefe. When I came to, I could feel the jolting of an automobile traveling fast. It was pitch dark and stuffy, and it took me a few seconds to realize I was inside of a box. Five minutes later, I'd made enough noise to get the car stopped, and Jose and a zombie-faced pal pried the lid off and let me out. Then I could see we were riding in a hearse, and the box was a coffin. I was still groggy from the slugging, and at the moment, the thing didn't make sense. But later, when we pulled up in front of a business establishment on the outskirts of Mexicali, it, uh, it did make sense. Bueno, senor, aquí estamos. Get out. And don't forget things, Joe. You dug your grave with that slugging. Get out. Okay, okay, why not? Vamonos. Except for the tolling of a church bell off somewhere in the distance, the whole town was sleeping like the dead. As we came near the building, I saw the sign on the front. Sleeping like the dead seemed to be very appropriate. The sign read, Madero's Funeral Park. Bueno, we go in. Aquí estamos, señor Madero. Buenas noches, señores. You are Senor Lucas, I believe. Yeah? Yeah, that's right. Vicente Madero, senor. I'm so happy to know you. There you are, huh? Is that why you had your sawed-off watchdog slug me? Jose, I'm surprised at you. Why you do such a thing to Senor Lucas? Wes, you say bring him back, you know, say... Quiet! My apologies, Senor. Jose sometimes grows over-enthusiastic. Yeah, that's something I'm going to talk to him about when I get the chance. Senor Madero, I think you make big mistake to trust this man. How I ask you to think, Jose? Get out! I wish to talk with Senor Lucas alone. Andale, andale! Si, Senor. It's most unfortunate you made contact with Franciscan Jose, Senor Lucas. They are stupid and mostly deal only with the small buyers. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the buyers are off. Even if you guys are on the level, which I very much doubt. Well, in that regard, Senor Lucas, perhaps I can convince you. I understand you are an authority on opium. At least that is what I hear from my people in L.A. You heard right. Have a look at this. Wow. So you do have this stuff. Ah, seguro que si. At least it hasn't been cut. Hmm. Looks good. It is good, sir. The best. And Jose and Francisca were on the level. Did she really get picked up by the customs? Unfortunately, yes. No matter, though. I understand you wish to make a $25,000 buy. Is that correct? I did. And more later. But well, you guys hot now and the way Jose's been acting, I... I think we'll skip it. Boy, senor, we can still make delivery. There is nothing to worry about. How do you get it across? Uh, in the coffins? Si, senor. The same as you are brought here. Yeah, that's the main sore spot right there, Madero. 
I don't like to get pushed around, and my boys in L.A. won't like it either. But, senor, it was the fault of Jose. He was a fool. Sure, but he's your responsibility. We can buy in Seattle just as well as here. No, I don't think so. I'm leaving. But at least do one thing, senor. Wait until I talk to the boss. Boss? I thought you were the boss. Well, I run things from here, but... Look, you wait at your hotel until noon tomorrow, no? Uh... I doubt if I can get a plane before then anyway. Suave, I will fix everything, senor. You wait. My trip to the jail in L.A. had paid off and kept me alive. Obviously, Madero could see the sail slipping through his fingers, and even worse, he was scared to death that Jose's blundering would get back to his boss. With his type of thinking, he had only one choice, to pass the whole deal to the man at the top before it went cold. And that was the man I wanted to meet, and bad. And meet him I did, at 9 o'clock the next morning, at my hotel, Eustace Tisdale. Complete with cowboy boots, a 10-gallon hat, and a white satin vest. I expected a howdy, partner, but when he opened his mouth, that wasn't what came out. May I express my feelings of both pleasure and honor at making your acquaintance, Mr. Lucas, as well as my regrets for the inconvenience you've been put to. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not blaming you for it, Mr. Tisdale. Have a seat. Thank you. I find hotel rooms most depressing, Mr. Lucas. On your next trip, you must visit my ranch near Yuma. It's a lovely place. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. I have some rather interesting French period furniture and quite a complete collection of Belgian glass. I imagine you might enjoy it. Sounds great. You know, it's, it's too bad I didn't meet you in the first place. We wouldn't have had all this trouble. Well, when one's expensive tastes require participation in a somewhat sordid profession... One must always make concessions and accept a certain number of, well, undesirable associates. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. They're a bunch of small-time jerks. Precisely, Mr. Lucas. And rest assured, I shall speak very sharply to them about their actions. A cigar, sir. My own brand, you know. The social chit-chat went on for a quarter of an hour or more, and I let myself be won over by Tisdale's professional charm. He dressed like a dude ranch dandy and talked like a fool. But behind it, I could almost hear the steel traps clicking in his head. I had a pretty strong hunch Madero was lounging outside the door with his hand on a gun. But I, I kept that hunch to myself and sweated it out. And finally, we got around to business. I'm sure you understand that we must exercise a certain degree of caution, Mr. Lucas. We'll deliver on this side of the border, of course, in the vicinity of Calexico... But I can't tell you the precise location ahead of time. Well, that's okay with me. No kicks. I'll uh, tell you what I do. I'll hire a drive-yourself car here in El Centro and wait to hear from you. Excellent. We'll phone you any time from uh, six o'clock on. I hope you'll be ready. I'll be ready. All right. Final contact. There'd be no more climbing step by step. I'd reach the top. It was time to start the push. Ten minutes after Tisdale left, I hit the phone and put through a call to Zach Wheaton in Brawley. Okay, Steve, I got a map here in front of me. Oh, I see what you mean. There are only three roads out of Calexico. That's right, Zach, and uh, one of them is the highway up here to El Centro. You see it there in the blue? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, that's out. It's, it's too well traveled. Well, that leaves State Highway 98, mm -hmm. east and west. Yeah. What's it like, Steve? Flat as a billiard table. You spot any car tailing me five miles away. You're making it tough. Yeah, the only thing I can see is a plant right in the car I'm driving. Maybe you could take out the back seat and cover with a blanket and use the trunk. That's good for three of you at least. 
Okay, Steve, and that's how we'll do it. All right. Look, Zach, you'd better call the boys at Human. All of you come on into town now. Go to the garage I told you about and wait. Right. Stay clear of me. I'm probably covered. Get the car fixed up and stand by. I'll, uh, I'll call the garage when Tisdale calls me. On what charge? We've got nothing on any of them except in Mexicali, and that's out of jurisdiction. Now, Zach, we've got to take them during the delivery. There's no way around it. Okay, I'm a dreamer. (laughs) Aren't we all? Well, Zach, see you in the trunk. That was it. The push was set, and there was nothing else to do but wait like a cat at a mouse hole. And the waiting was bad enough during the afternoon, but from 6 o'clock on, it was deadly. The minutes dragged and the telephone began to look like a black monster. And then finally, at five after eight, it came alive. Lucas speaking. Is that Madero, senor? Yes, Madero. In 15 minutes, you will take your car from the garage and drive toward Calexico. At the junction of Route 98, you will turn west and drive until you see us. You understand? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Bueno, adios. Zach, can you hear me? Yes, Dave, what is it? Car parked up ahead beside a bridge. Maybe them. Good, the sooner the better. Yeah, it'll be dark in another ten minutes. How's it under the blanket? Hot. It'll be hotter when you come out. Is them all right? Tisdale's standing in the road. I can see that white jacket of his. That other character still behind us? Jose? Yeah, I can see him back there about a half a mile. Okay, I'm going to stop short of the bridge here. I'll bring him back to the car for the money. You got the signal? Yeah. When you say, count it if you want to, it's all there. We jump out with the artillery. And jump fast. That may be your last jump. Uh, Like the chief says, you never know. Yeah. He's a card, isn't he? Well, this is it. Good luck, Jack. Right. Tisdale and Madero were standing by the parked cars. I walked toward them. They dragged two small suitcases from the trunk and came to meet me. Jose's car had pulled up behind mine and stopped. His zombie-faced friend was with him, and they both had guns. Any way it turned, this was bound to be touchy. Good evening, Mr. Lucas. Delivery right on schedule, eh? Looks like it. Stuff's in the suitcases? Yes, we transferred it. I thought you might find some difficulty in taking a coffin back to Los Angeles. Now, there is a small matter of money, I believe. Uh-huh. Well, uh, it's in the car. Well, so I'm not the only one who takes certain precautions. Well, let's go. They carried the suitcases, and I walked ahead of them, hoping Zack wouldn't slip and start to push too soon. If he did, I'd be a perfect cover for Tisdale and Madero and a clay pigeon for Jose. I got a quick general idea of what that last mile must be like. Just a second, the uh, money's in the dash compartment. Here you are, boys. Ah, yes. All nicely packaged. Yes. You can count it if you want. It's all there. Team man, boys, you're under arrest. Come on the other car, Zach. Drop it, you! Madero was dead, Jose was dead, Nachos was dead. One of the men on the bridge was shot in the leg and the other through the arm. But Tisdale, the brains and the boss, was intact and in handcuffs. It was a clean sweep. 
Although in a dope case, clean may not be quite the word. Anyway, it led to the same old routine, the nearest telephone booth. I had a feeling that Pete would rest more peacefully now, and I knew we'd stopped a lot of killing of another kind. A slower death, maybe, but more deadly and terrible than any kind of gun or weapon ever invented by man. Long distance? Connect me with the Treasury Department, Enforcement Division, Washington, D.C., Office of the Chief Investigator. Official business. T-Man is transcribed, produced, and directed by William N. Robeson and stars Dennis O'Keefe as Treasury Agent Steve Larson. Tonight's program was written by Les Crutchfield. Included in Mr. O'Keefe's company were Virginia Gregg, Bill Johnstone, Ted DeCorsia, Harry Bartell, and John Hoyt. Music was composed and conducted by Del Castillo. Be with us again next week at this time when T-Man Steve Larson, played by Dennis O'Keefe, solves the case of the Crooked R, which begins with a crank letter in Washington and ends with a crackpot hillbilly in the Ozarks. Next week, same time, same station for T-Man, starring Dennis O'Keefe. You'll find murder riding with a jangle of bells on gangbusters tonight. Stay tuned now for this gangbuster story, The Case of the Bad Humor Man, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Arthur Godfrey's digest of wit and humor is heard every Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. That moment in the episode where Steve finds out that the person who was bringing him a sample of the narcotics had been picked up at the border, that was definitely tense, and certainly that is one big risk that gets taken with uh, undercover uh, investigations, is that someone who is not in on what's going down, interferes, and gums up the work. But but he was able to work his way out of it. The ending was kind of odd. I mean, we don't have all the episodes of the series. We've got the first episode and this one, so who knows, two or three weeks in, it could have worked out that they started having him call into Washington uh, at the end of each episode, which would give it kind of a rhythm. But if that's not the context, it's kind of just not the best note to end on. But other than that, it was a fun episode, really good procedural. And I always appreciate these sort of undercover stories. And this one, unlike the first episode, which was essentially T-Men adapted to radio, this has a lot of unique features, and I really enjoyed it. I hope you liked it as well. All right, well, some listener comments and feedback. And speaking of that first episode of T-Man, we have an email here from Linda. 
And uh, Linda uh, writes in, Hi, Adam. I'm sincere whether anyone else was struck by the similarities between the opening segments of T-Man and Rocky Jordan. The style of the music and the brief introduction are quite simple are quite similar. Thanks for keeping these old-time detectives alive. Well, thank you so much for your note, Linda. Um, it didn't strike me at the time, uh, because I've heard a lot of openings to detective programs, and there are some that uh, work similarly to Rocky Jordan. Uh, but I did go ahead and re-listen, and I, I can see what you're talking about. The music has a similarity, because on that uh, pilot uh, program, The Audition, uh, they had Richard Arant as the composer. Richard Arant, of course, was the uh, composer and did the music on Rocky Jordan. So uh, it has some of that same uh, style in it. Now I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Steve. Steve's been one of our Patreon supporters since January, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Steve. And that will actually do it for now. Join us back here on Monday for Box 13. And then next Saturday, we'll be bringing you Indictment. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.